I'm a rookie. Sorry. <laughs> All right. It's nice to see everybody. My name's uh, Chris Thielen. I'm the children's pastor, if we haven't had a chance to meet. And I get a chance to speak to you guys uh, today. And it's very exciting for me. I love doing this. And uh, I like to speak to big people, too. So that's, that's actually kind of fun for me. Um, and, and along those lines, uh, I, I got to ask you, because it's always little people and they're always kicking chairs or picking noses and moving around and stuff like that, I just got to tell you, it's kind of creepy when you all just sit there, okay? And so if you feel free to, you know, you can raise your hand and say, I got to go to the bathroom. You can do whatever you want, you know, whatever. If you want to kick the chair in front of you, something like that, I won't mind, okay? Um, I may need to tell somebody just to stop. But that'll be fine. No, um, no. But I, I appreciate. It. I'm going to need some response today. Okay, I need some life, please. All right. Eight o'clock was a little rough. They're not awake yet, so I'm expecting a lot more out of eleven. All right, please. Um, <laughs> and pray for us also. We, we are leaving for summer camp tomorrow. Uh, we we go to uh, yeah. We go to Jeunesse Park, which is up near uh, Pinecrest. We got third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders that are coming. We got a pretty big group, so it's it's a lot of fun. Just pray that the hearts of these kids will be open. And uh, just, you know, excited about hearing what God has for them and um, just, you know, the gospel would reach their hearts. We're praying for that. So as Kevin was mentioning, we are starting a new series this summer and all the pastors are going to be preaching different things, but all along the same lines of that this changed my life. And I was a history major in college. I love, um, I love history, not the details of history, like all the little nuts and bolts. I like the big picture of history, you know, and just how certain events were big watershed things and how it altered the course of societies and things like that. So I get into that. I kind of geek out on that stuff a little bit. And I was looking this week at um, an article that was talking about the, the, you know, the 15 biggest events in history. And, and so I love that. And one of them was the printing press. I think this is actually a monumental thing, the, the development of the printing press, which allowed you know, language to go out all over the world in the, in the common language you know, that normal people could understand. It, it promoted literacy, all that kind of thing. So that was a huge deal. Uh, it changed everything. And that actually kind of led to the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. We're actually celebrating the 500th year of that this year, and which is kind of exciting. So it was Martin Luther, Calvin, they breaking from the, the Catholic Church. But, you know, there's a, a huge way in which that brought about uh, freedom, freedom of conscience, everything about, I mean, really the American... Uh, experiment that we call, you know, America was kind of born out of the ideas that were started, you know, in the Reformation. And so that was big. But it also listed like, you know, the American, French, communist revolutions. And of course, for us, the biggest event in history that it changed everything was a resurrection. But words can change lives too, right? We know our words that, that whether maybe good or bad. So sometimes bad things, you know, that if, if you ever heard these words, you can imagine how devastating and, and that they would be that you were a mistake or I'm leaving your mother or the biopsy came back positive or I never loved you. And sometimes it, words can change you for good, you know, that will you marry me or your application's been accepted or it's a boy. And so we're going to be all sharing uh, different verses that have touched our lives, kind of changed the trajectory of our life story. And uh, we didn't even plan it this way, but today's verse has a lot to do with freedom and independence. And uh, we didn't necessarily plan it that way, but it kind of worked out. So um, we'll be looking into that today. When I was in college, uh, grew up in the East Bay. We went to Great America. Many of you know Great America, th uh, theme park, amusement park. And back then, they used to have all these concerts. You know, they bring like five or six music groups that you liked, Christian groups and stuff. So we, we went. One time, I was going to see Out of the Gray. Anybody Out of the Gray? Yeah, loved Out of the Gray. They were great. And uh, Christy and I were dating at the time, and we went with a group of friends more of my friends from college. And so we were, uh, 
kind of on the far side. If you know the park at all, there's on the far side of the park where all the carnival games were and stuff. And we, were, uh, we wanted to see it out of the gray, though. That's why we were there. And so Christy and I left. We said, hey, we're just going to go check out, see what time the show starts, and we'll be back, you know. So we, we went pretty much across the, <laughs> across the park, got there, and the concert was just starting out of the gray, just starting. And I'm thinking, dude, if I leave right now to go back and tell these guys it's starting right now, I'm going to miss three quarters of it, right? So we got this decision to make right there. Now, understand, this is the early 90s. This is the world before cell phones. See, because now, and, and that's glorious and tragic at the same time, right? Because glorious would have been, you know, hey, it's starting right now, get over here. Or, but, but tragic also in the sense that you can't do that, but Let's admit, life was better in many ways before cell phones, right? Uh, it was just kind of cool. So anyway, we weren't able to text them, so we had a decision to make, and we stayed. And uh, it's a great show, let me just tell you. No, and then, and we, you know, because of those cell phones, we couldn't find them the rest of the night, you know. So we ended up at the cars at the end of the night, and we're there, and we're walking up. And, and for me, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, you know. And, and a bunch of my guys were really giving us a hassle. Like, I can't believe, come on, dude. You know. And one guy, the most faithful guy, he's such a sweetheart. Uh, he really is. And he was the one who wanted to wait. It was like over an hour. He's like, no, they're coming back. We have to wait. We told them we'd wait. You know? And I was like, oh, dude. And he was like, no, it's okay. And I, but me, I was like, no, it's not okay. You know, and that guilt, right? That condemnation that you feel, and, and it just kind of weighs. And now we've all done stupid things, right? We've all done stuff like that. And some people's consciences are harder on, on them than others. I mean, some people, they'll make mistakes. It just kind of rolls right off them. They don't care. You know, others, they really beat themselves up over it. Well, I'm a, I beat myself up over it all the time. Like, that is big with me. And so, when, I, when you start talking about, like, then your relationship with God, because I always kind of grew up thinking, okay, God is so holy and perfect and high above and everything else, and I'm just, like, way down here. And you start, and when that all compounds, not just your guilt that you feel with other people and the mistakes you make with them, but then the guilt between me and God and how egregious my sin must be to him, and it just compounds, and you just start living under this cloud of gloom and guilt. Anybody? Has anybody kind of just felt this low-grade guilt and shame and condemnation? Sometimes you don't even remember what it was about. You're just like, you just kind of feel that weight. It's just this fog. I don't know, man. I've, I've felt that. You just always feel like, for whatever reason, I'm just not good enough or I'm a disappointment. I just got too many faults. And some, again, sometimes you don't even, there's nothing specific. It's just this fog. I realize this isn't everybody. I mean, some people, they never see their faults. They kind of roll through life. And for me, I worry about all my small faults, right? And they, things that probably are no big deal. And at either end of the spectrum, that's a big problem, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's not healthy being on either end of that. But I think it's because nobody wants to feel guilty. I mean, some people won't say they're sorry, even when they're clearly in the wrong, because they don't want to feel guilty. And other people, they say sorry for everything, because they don't want to feel guilty, I mean, for me, I'm not on that. I mean, I've apologized for things I haven't even done. I've apologized for things I wasn't even there. But I just figured, well, I've done something wrong along the way, so, and I probably offended you in some way, so, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? You just kind of, that's kind of how I am. And so, but either way, right, it's just this reaction, a normal human reaction to not wanting to feel guilty over our sin and the things that we do wrong. And it's, it's a reaction to condemnation. 
And we're going to look at that today, that word condemned. It's used in the scripture a lot to describe guilt. And really, it's kind of a legal term. It's in your program if you want to take a look there. Um, it's a legal term describing the guilt of those who would willfully break God's perfect law. So imagine you got this public trial, you, the, the, you know, the evidence is weighed, the verdict is guilty, the justice demands punishment, and you stand there condemned. And again, some people feel this stuff more than other people, but when you're talking in reference to God, we should all feel it. We should all feel this immense burden because, I mean, some people think that, you know, God's up here, yeah, God's great, he's perfect, he's cool. You know, I'm just a pretty good guy, I'm like right here. Listen, you're not even close, bro. If God is perfect and holy and transcendent and eternal and everything else, you know, what that means is you either, if you think it's like this, you either don't understand his holiness enough or your sin enough, or it's probably a combination of both. Because the, the distance between us and God, his perfection and our sin is so vast, you, you, you're, it's not even on the map, okay? And so that's kind of the idea of condemned. And we should all, in a sense, feel that next to God when we look at his holiness. And what that does is it brings about a condemnation. In 2006, we were able to go to Slidell, Louisiana to kind of help with Katrina relief. It was nine, ten months or so, I forget, after, um, after the, the hurricane had come through. And if, did anybody go? Did anybody see any of that stuff? It was unbelievable. The, you, we flew into New Orleans. It's an hour drive to Slidell. And just for a complete hour driving on the freeway, hardly anybody on the road, just utter devastation. It looked like Hiroshima or something. I, it was unbelievable. And, you know, just the devastation. And we drove through the Ninth Ward, you know, where all, and there was houses. I got a picture of a house on top of a car. And there, were, there was this all over the place on every, just about every house there, right? Big painted X. And they'd have numbers in these different quadrants and stuff describing what needed to happen. But basically the house was condemned, right? It was useless and dead. It was ready to be destroyed. It was unfit for service. And you know what? There's times where, you know, you will feel condemned and you feel like you got this big fat red X on you and you feel useless and dead, ready to be destroyed, unfit for service in your relationship with God or spiritually or anything. And so I felt that way a lot growing up. I just felt kind of condemned. And it was a self-condemnation a lot of times too. And then everything changed. See, I came to understand Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 1 in particular, but the whole chapter. And let me read it. Ver Romans 1, 8, 8, 1 and 2. And it's in your program there. It says, therefore, now just imagine the weight of this. Imagine. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit set me free from the law of sin and death. See, again, when we understand the depth of our sin next to a holy God and how criminal our sin is, and then he comes along and says, there is now therefore no condemnation. I don't condemn you. It's not like we paid bail. It's not like we did the crime and did the time. It's not like we get early release because we're a model prisoner. No, the idea, the Bible says earlier in, in Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And you go to a job, you know, you do a job and you get a wage. That's what you deserve for the work that you've done. Well, the, the wage of sin is death. So that what you deserve as payment for your sin is death, separation from God, being far away from him, not just physical death, spiritual death. We are guilty and we deserve de death and there is no defense attorney that can make some kind of plea or get us off on a technicality. And he comes along and says, okay, okay, listen, I'm not going to condemn you. There is no condemnation on you. The law of, of the Spirit has broken you from the law of sin and death. That'll change your life. 
So when you read in the Bible, New Testament, and Paul writes these other letters like Romans or Ephesians, Philippians, how does he address its readers? Does anybody know? Like in the beginning, he's, he says, he, he, it starts with an S. I'll give you the, I need it. Uh, does he say, hey, stupid? Does he say, hey, stressed out ones? Uh, suckers? Uh, you know, sinners? What does he call us? Saints. Saints. You guys ever done anything to be called a saint? Yeah, you think that they did back in, no. Okay, so why does he call us saints? Okay, here's the idea. Can something be true of you without feeling like it is? I need response, people. Thank you. Okay, gee whiz, man. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so in the idea here that if, if you can feel ugly, dumb, fat, and nerdy, but does that make it true? Okay, because honestly, you guys know you can feel beautiful, smart, skinny, and cool, and that ain't true either. So you know what I mean? I mean, that, so that's a whole other sermon. Maybe we need to have a conversation, but... I'm just saying that just because somebody calls you ugly, dumb, fat, and nerdy, does that make it true automatically? No, it doesn't. So somebody saying something about you doesn't make it true. So here's the idea. You've got an enemy out there, people. We all do. His name is Satan. He's coming after us. He hates God, and God loves us, so he hates us too. All right? The Bible talks about him. It says he's a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. All, the lying is his native tongue that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his job. So he's coming after you, all right? And he's going to say stuff to you. And one of the things he says to us is, you're just a sinner. Now, are you a sinner? You're a sinner. I hate to break it to you. You're a sinner. But are you just a sinner? No, you're not just a sinner. See, Paul will address... Um, his letters to, he says saints or chosen ones or beloved or brothers and sisters loved by God. He doesn't say, hey, sinners. Now, we are sinners to be true, but we are not just sinners. We are sinners saved by God's grace. And that makes us saints. And that's crazy. But that'll change your life. You see, if that's true, why do we feel so cruddy all the time? Sometimes. Why do we still feel condemned? Was well, because our spiritual enemy, Satan, he spins us around what's called the shame spiral. I got, the idea of this, came, Louis Giglio was preaching on this, and I love the idea. But basically, here's this, you know, fallen angel, Satan, he comes to us, and he knows our weaknesses, right? And his whole job is to pull us away from the Father. He knows where we're weak. He knows when to hit us, how to hit us. He watches our patterns and stuff. He doesn't read your mind, but he knows he watches your pattern, and he's smart enough to know where he can get you. Now, it's different for everybody. We can make a list of everybody's, you know, worst temptation and where they fall the most, and then you get a thousand different ideas here, okay? Because yours, you may deal with something I don't deal with. I'm like, well, Lee, why would you deal with that? And you'd look at mine and go like, dude, seriously, you deal with that? Like, that's, it's easy. And I'm like, I know, it's so hard, you know. We all have our things, and they're all different, but he knows each of us and, and where they go. So imagine there's this situation. You're, you know, you're just, you're developing your relationship with Christ. You're feeling close with God. You're really wanting to do stuff for him. And he's drawing you close. And he's telling you how wonderful his, his love for you is. He's, you're, you're understanding. I, I, he died on the cross for my sins. And, and he's, he's taken my sin away. And he's filled me with his Holy Spirit to enable me and empower me to live for Christ. And I'm, 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 he, he's encouraging me when I'm discouraged. And he's, and he's bringing me along. He's giving me purpose in my life. And he's giving me promise of heaven. And things are going great. And then Satan comes along. 
and he's a tempter, right? And you got this little spiral on your notes there, and it's up here, and that first T is tempter, right? And he comes along as a tempter, again, to steal, kill, and destroy. So he draws us away, he entices us, right? He makes promises to us that he can't deliver on. He's always doing it. He dresses up real nice, right? He makes it all look very attractive, and he's lying about how great it's going to be. I mean, he might as well make, make um, you know, uh, brochures for, or, or online things for hotels, right? Where, you know, you got this hotel and you're like, wow, look at that room, you know, despite being cropped it just so that the dumpster over here and the, and the dump that's over here on this, I mean, he just cropped it. That hotel room looks so huge at that Motel 6. Looks like the Ritz Carlton over there. You're like, I'm staying there. They don't pan out and show you the neighborhood behind it, right? But Satan's really good at that, at framing the whole thing to look really, really good and to tempt you and to make it look just like you like it. And like, you know, hey, nobody will know. You know, you're going to feel better. I know you've been feeling kind of down lately or kind of stressed out, tired, whatever. You know, but it's not a big deal. Everybody does this stuff. You know, you deserve it. You deserve it. You work really hard. And we are ding-dong humans enough to make a bad decision and constantly just falling into sin. We do it, right? And then guilt and shame enters, and that closest with God is broken, and we feel it. And doggone if he doesn't just run around, he takes his tempter hat off, puts accuser hat on. Do you know that the name Satan means accuser? That's his name, okay? That's not a great name. Don't name your kid accuser, all right? So accuser, though. He's over here, and he's ready to accuse. And, and he starts trolling you now with a whole different set of lies. This was a set of lies over here as tempter, but he's trolling you now with a whole different set of lies as accuser. That's what the A fill-in is. But he's saying, well, how can you say like, you love God if you're doing stuff like that? I mean, you, you're not really a Christian. Christians don't do that stuff, seriously. I mean, what a fake. What if everybody finds out what you're doing over here? I mean, I can't, I can't believe you did that. That's pretty pathetic, dude. Boom. Goes to condemnation, right? And we're so dumb spiritually, we're like, we fall for it. Again, fell for that, fell for this. We're like, yeah, whew. Yeah, I did do that. Why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. That was really dumb. What am I thinking? And it sounds a little like this, doesn't it? You're not smart enough and everyone knows it. You can't change. You should be embarrassed. You're going to lose all of your friends because of this. You weren't born that way. You have been abandoned. You were never really loved. You're not going to survive this. You're not pretty enough. You're totally Anybody ever heard stuff like this in their head? Anybody hear this kind of talk going on? And again, like I said, this is as old as this cassette player because this stuff 25 years ago. Just like your dad. Your mother. And you're still listening. Right? And, and the thing is, is nobody, nobody rises up, right? In that moment, nobody rises up and just says, shut up. It's not true. You're the one who told me that this was fine, that it was okay, that it's fine, it's perfectly okay. You're the one who cropped the photo and eliminated all that junk over here and on the other side and made it look just right. And how quickly, you guys, that whatever temptation it was that three minutes ago seemed awesome, now doesn't look so great. It looks like a pretty bad decision once the accuser starts talking. I'm like, why did I do that? What am I thinking, right? And... It turns to embarrassment and guilt and shame and disappointment and frustration and fear. And we're just like Adam and Eve, sin and hiding in the garden, naked and afraid, trying to hide from God, trying to stitch together some fig leaves, right? And, and disappointed and fear. You know that they were fighting after that. Well, why'd you grab the apple? Well, I don't know. You were standing right there. Well, you wanted to taste it. I know, but you tasted it too. Well, right? Can you imagine? 
and they're fighting with each other, and all the peace and comfort and everything of the garden was gone. You see, in, a, in that moment of condemnation then, temptation, accusation, isn't it amazing when we're standing there under condemnation and accusation how susceptible then we are to words like this? Hey, look, you know, I know you feel bad for what you did. And let me show you something. Well, I, gosh, I kind of feel even weird asking you or showing you this because that's kind of weird. But how about this? I mean, I, I really think this will make you feel better. I mean, you deserve it. I mean, how could God expect you to be perfect? I mean, lots of people do this stuff. I mean, God's going to understand. And that accuser slips right back over here and he becomes tempter again, right? And we fall for it again, you know? And we go and do the same thing we just did and believe him again. Then he runs back over here, puts his accuser hat on, and now he's hitting it really hard. Seriously? You did it again? Even after you promised God you weren't going to be doing it anymore? I mean, if you really believed in him, you wouldn't be doing that. Doesn't God say that if you, if you love him, you'll obey him? Well, obviously you don't love him. You're not obeying him at all. Hey, we have a breakdown moment. We're on the ground. God, I, I'm so sorry. I know I did this 18 times, but I promise you I'm not going to do it a 19th time. And I, you need to help me. If, I, if you forgive me this time, I promise I'll never do it again. Anybody ever prayed like that? He runs back over here with a temptation hat on. I know, but you can give in this once. He understands. And then, bam, double barrel, back to the accusation. It's the spiral, and it takes us down. And it's then, it's this, this constant this. You don't even want it to be different. Just face it. You don't even know what other terrible things might happen now. You are all alone. You're not bouncing back. Right? So Satan spins us around, tempter to accuser, to tempter to accuser, and, and we fall for it way too easily. And some of you have this, this soundtrack playing in your mind all the time. This is low-grade guilt, condemnation, turning to despair. And you start thinking, I'm so far away from God, I may never get out of this. I may never get out of this sin. And he re just replays it over again. You're just a sinner. God doesn't love you. How can he love you when you're doing all this stuff? And then he gets you to do this. Then he starts... I got props because I'm a kid's pastor. All right. And, and he gets you to do this. He's like, you know what? That, what you're doing is kind of like this rock right here, you know, because it's your shame and guilt. And it's like, you can't take it away, bro. I mean, that's who you are, right? You were raised like this. This is, this is I mean, it's your mom or your dad. Or, you know, that's just who you are, right? You got every excuse in the world. So you're like, well, I got to carry around my guilt and shame somehow. And so maybe I can clean it up a little bit. Let me do this. I'll do this and shine it. That looks better, right? Looking good? And then we're like, well, go to school and work and stuff like that, and you got your rock with you. What's that? Oh, that's just, that's just a thing that I deal with. It's just kind of how I am. You know, like, well, well, I don't know. Maybe I can just accessorize it. I get some zebra print up here. Right? I'm just going to find my little carrying case. I got a cross on there that says Jesus. See that? A little flower. This smiley face tucked back here. Looks pretty nice. Let me take my shame and my guilt. I'll put it in here. See? I got this. Right? I mean, seriously, what's the problem? I can totally handle this. I mean, I understand that I'm carrying this stuff, and, you know, it's not that comfortable, but who cares, dude? It's just who I am. This is who God has made me, and this is how people deal with me, and this is, I like it. It looks nice, doesn't it? Dude, why are you judging me? 
Don't judge me. You got your own rock. And it doesn't, it doesn't look any better than mine. In fact, you don't have Jesus on your container. Right? Am I right? So, so here's what happened. It actually broke in ser- the second service, so I had to fix it. That's my rock. All right, so we've got all that, right? And you wash it up, and you make it look really good, and you just look really comfortable, and you just pretend it's not there. It's just my burden to bear, and I deserve it, and I can handle it now because I've had to learn. I've been this way my whole life. You know what? And it's all this going on the whole time as you're carrying it around. Be ready for something bad to happen to you. You've never been able to overcome it before. What makes you think you can do it now? You're a disappointment. Right. And just about the time you get tired of that rock and you start putting it down or finding a way that, to find forgiveness in Christ, to put it down, and, and then, it, hey, hey, open that door, sinner. You better pick up that rock. God doesn't love you. Come on, I just saw you cheating and lying and stealing and gossiping and doing all the things that you like to do. I just saw that lust and jealousy and anger and resentment and abuse and addiction. You better pick up that rock. You belong to me. You better pick it up because you know what? God doesn't forgive that stuff. All right, you know, you've, you've asked for forgiveness enough, all right? He's done with you. You see, if, God, if, if somebody commits a crime and they serve their time and they're condemned, their punishment, they pay the punishment, can they be jailed again for the same crime? No. What do we call that? Double jeopardy, right? No. The, the punishment is paid. You don't have to pay for the same crime again. So it's kind of like picking up this X, right? And Satan's going to attach this X to you and this condemnation and stuff like that. And, and the idea is you're, you would just say, no, I'm not going to pay for that anymore. It's been paid for, Right? So you say, Christ died on the cross for my sin. It's done. It's paid for. It's double jeopardy. It would be double jeopardy if I was to continue to carry that around and to pay for that, right? And so you have to, at some point, um, not listen to the accuser. But you learn to recite the truth about your forgiveness. You drop the rock. You turn the recorder off. You, you flip the cross. Whatever you do. But it takes truths like Romans 8.1 that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus to spin you out of that spiral. Right? Because there's two voices that are coming at you. And it's your choice of who to believe. Now, you're going to believe somebody, but it's either going to be the accuser or Christ. It's either going to be faith or fear. And only one of them is the way, the truth, and the life. And the other one is the father of lies, and when he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. Now, you're welcome to pick your rock up again, if you'd like, to walk in condemnation. Or you can walk in freedom of Christ. Verse 2 says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, there's consequences to our sins. It's not utter condemnation, but there's accusations, right? So you're, what happens is accusers be accusing, right? And so Satan's going to be continuing blah, 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 doing all this stuff in your ear. You're going to hear that in your ear, but the, what the difference is with freedom and the cross is you don't have to believe it. Just because somebody says something about you doesn't make it true. And just because you believe something about you doesn't make you true. And just, even if you don't I'm sorry, just because you don't believe something about yourself doesn't make it not true. You may not feel like the cross covers you. Facts don't care about your feelings. I just bought a shirt that says that. I can't wait to get it. It's in the mail. It comes tomorrow morning. Facts don't care about your feelings. The fact is the cross takes away your sin. I don't care about your feelings. You may not feel it. That doesn't matter. But can I just say that when the accuser calls you just a sinner, that it's fake news? All right? Because you shouldn't even believe everything that you tell yourself. 
You got to stop listening to yourself when it sounds like condemnation. And you got to start preaching to yourself the truths of Scripture, right? Because when the accuser doesn't go away and he's da 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 and he's chirping at you and stuff like that, you tell him the truth. He doesn't like it very much. And so you just say from the Scripture, you know, Lord, saying, yes, I am a sinner, but I'm not just a sinner. I'm a saint. Christ has died for my sins. The penalty's been paid. I'm not uh, going to keep paying it. That would be double jeopardy. And yes, I deserve that rock and the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, but I'm not condemned anymore. Christ took it away. I don't have to. I'm a child of God. I have all the rights and privileges as a child of God and a full inheritance of Christ. And he calls me friend and he calls me saint. And yes, I stood condemned, but I turned the cross up on his side and now I stand under the blood of Christ and in the righteousness that he gives me. See, he doesn't like that very much, right? And in the power of Christ then, he, he scampers away at least for a little while. See, the only way to break the spiral is to believe God's truth over Satan's lies. It's the only way. Now, I'm hoping that some of you are asking a question in your head. Um, so what then do we do about the sin that we keep committing after we've been forgiven, right? Like, what do I do since there's no condemnation anymore? Uh, what is it that I feel after my sin? Was anybody asking that question? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you guys were smarter than that. Um, okay. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. Um, the kids would have asked that question. I'm telling you, your kids are sharp. They would have asked that question. They would have raised their hand. Well, what happens now? Um, no, but there's another Bible word. It's called conviction. All right? That's another fill-in. Conviction. Now, it's kind of that similar to condemnation, right? When somebody's convicted, you know, it's like their punishment's being paid. But it's a little different in Scripture because here's the idea. It's the Holy Spirit using guilt and shame to lead to repentance. So what's happening here is, you, yes, you're, you're recognizing your guilt, but also that your guilt has been removed by Christ on the cross. So you have friendship with God. So the conviction is not about tearing you down and leaving you in a pool of shame, but rather to build you up, to declare what you've done that's sin, but also what he's done and who he is in order to move you closer to the Father, which is where he wants you to be. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, per, that grace is permissiveness, that you could just, God forgives you, go ahead and do whatever you want. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that forgiveness only happens when the wrong that you've done is acknowledged, that it's, it's okay not because of what you did was okay, but because it's forgiven. And then you live in that. And there's a thing the Bible talks about with, under conviction that's called godly sorrow. Let me, let me read the verses with that. Now, Paul had written a couple letters to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a really wicked city. And so the people that were coming out of the city of Corinth into the church had all this residue of sin and all these bad habits and patterns and stuff like that. That church was a mess because it's full of people, right? No perfect people allowed, especially in Corinth. And so they've got all this residue of all this stuff. And so Paul's writing these letters to them to encourage them. Well, the first letter he writes is just railing on them because some dude in the church um, is... Uh, Let's see, he's sleeping with his stepmother, ill, right? I mean, it's that kind of thing, right? And so, but, but the people felt really good about themselves because they were allowing that guy to stay. They were saying, oh, the grace of God covers you, and it's okay, and we're really permissive, and we're really tolerant, and, you know, hey, that's your truth, and I'm not going to tell you who you are and what you can do and what you're going to claim. You know what I mean? Are you feeling me? The culture just allows all the sin they want because, who, I mean, who am I to judge, Right? So the church was doing that. And so Paul writes this letter saying, no, <laughs> you got to kick that dude out. You, either, you confront him. If he's not going to fix this sin, you got to kick him out. You can't have that kind of impurity in your church. Well, that was a very harsh tone, and they didn't like it. There were no safe spaces in Corinth, apparently. And so they didn't, uh, they didn't, they didn't have anywhere to go. And uh, they didn't write a strongly worded letter to the superintendent, whatever. Anyway, so... 
So in 2 Corinthians now, Paul's writing another letter to them to um, talk to them about the first letter and how upset they were, okay? Poor little snowflakes. So here we go. Um, So here he's writing here. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. He's like, when I first found out you guys are really upset, I was kind of upset for about three minutes. And then he says, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. And then get this, look at this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation about your sin, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. You see, conviction, you guys, is where you say, yes, I'm sorry. It's godly sorrow, and it leads you to repentance. Look at what it's saying. It's as God intended. It harmed you in no way. It leads to salvation, leaves no regret, all those things. It's godly sorrow. So is there a place for shame and guilt and condemnation in the heart of a saint, a believer? Well, yes but only when it drives you back to God in repentance. See, it's the Holy Spirit through Paul talking to these Corinthians, not as an accuser, but he's calling out their sin, leading them to repentance so they can return to God. And so what conviction does is conviction tells the tempter and accuser, it says, dude, get out of my face. You lied. You're the father of lies. You tell lies as your native language. You're a murderer from the beginning. You, you steal, kill, and destroy. And it worked that time. It worked last time, doggone it. And, but I'm not going to fall for it again. So get out. That's what conviction says. And conviction also says, then return to the father. It says, Lord, I know I've sinned. and I, I, I've sinned in many ways. Sometimes in some ways that I don't even know I've sinned. And I agree with you that I've broken your holy law. But I know that I'm already forgiven in Christ. That 2,000 years ago when Christ was on the cross, that that counts for me. It's already done. And so I turn away from that. Please help me in your grace just to do better and to live over in power. You see, if it, the voice of the Father doesn't sound like condemnation, it sounds like, okay, I know you messed up, but I still love you. And you're my child. And don't listen to that little toothless bully over there. You just come to me. You're mine. You belong to me. See, I want you to picture this continuum, and now this is totally oversimplistic, but I teach kids, so I'll try to make it simple, all right? So imagine this continuum, right? You've got fully negative sin and everything over here. You've got somewhere in the middle is like a neutral spot, and then you've got full righteousness over here. Now, who's over here? Good, thank you. It's not you. Thank you for that. <laughs> who's over here? Us, thank you. Very good. So we're way over on the other ends, right? And so what happens is uh, when Christ removes our sin on the cross, right, he kind of, in a sense, kind of moves us from full sin over to perhaps maybe even neutral. Like our sin's been taken away. We're kind of like in the middle here. We're neutral with God. Now that's great, but it doesn't stop there because I don't want to stay here either. I don't want to just be neutral with God. But he's taken away our sin. So what happens then is this beautiful thing. We kind of call it the great exchange. It's this wonderful idea that Scripture talks about. So Christ is, is fully righteous. We've talked about this before. Christ is fully righteous. Here I am. I've had my sin. He takes away my sin. So we make a trade. We make a trade. And I give him my sin. Because pretty much the only thing I've got is my sin. So I give him my sin. And he gives me, get this, his righteousness. And the Bible talks about on Judgment Day, you know, we're standing before God and God sees us clothed in the white robes of Christ's righteousness. 
The word justified in Scripture, it's a legal term, the idea of not being condemned anymore, but it says, it, you know, a lot of people say, well, just as if I'd, it's a way to remember, just as if I'd never sinned. But that's not even it, because that would just be putting us in the middle. If I had never sinned, I'd be neutral. No, it's better than that. It's just as if I'd done everything right. And I'm, I'm in Christ's righteousness. So when God looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness. That's crazy, right? That'll change your life. I don't, it is a trade. It was totally in our favor, <laughs> all right? I've never had a deal like that. And see, the idea is that Romans 8, 3, the third verse in the chapter says, Jesus condemned sin so he wouldn't have to condemn us. See, in our sin, he would have to condemn us. So he removes our sin so that he doesn't have to condemn us and can put our, his righteousness on us. Anybody grow up doing baseball cards? Randy, I know you did. Anybody else? Okay, a couple of you guys. Baseball, you know, so we would, my brother and I used to collect baseball cards, right? And you, you, know, you put them in order and you get all, try to get every one of them from that year or whatever. And we were so proud of ourselves. We had this big collection and stuff. And they used to have this thing called the Beckett um, Price Guide. And we'd go to Toys R Us and we'd get our Beckett Price Guide. It would tell you how expensive, what the cards were worth, right? And so I remember Mike Schmidt, rookie, and we're sitting at the dinner table one time. My dad's over here. I remember wisdom from dad, right? And we're like, yeah, well, the Mike Schmidt rookie's $40, you know? And my dad says, well, it's only worth what somebody's going to pay for it. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Well, he said, well, if you can find somebody to spend $40 on it, then it's worth $40. If you can only find somebody who's going to spend $20 on it, then it's only worth $20. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, but it's true. Am I right? I mean, it's true. Something is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. And so, Back up now, go to 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians. This is a chapter after he's just railed them about this guy sleeping with his stepmother. And now, because he's talking about purity in the church, and this is what he says. He says, you are not your own. You were bought, anybody? At a price. You were bought at a price. You don't belong to yourself. So what was God willing to pay for you? The death of his son, which indeed is the highest price that could have ever been paid. You're only worth what somebody's willing to pay for you. And God sent his son to die to pay for you. That's how valuable you are. You're not your own. And so we rejoice because it's not just that we're not negative anymore and sins are removed. We've been moved fully to the positive and we stand in the righteousness of Christ, not because we've earned it, but because he's good and he gets the glory. That's crazy in a good way. <laughs> Just please understand, God calls you a saint, right? And you are very valuable. And think about the transitions and things that are going on here of, of moving us from there to here. Because he says, you know, the death of Christ, um, the Son of God on the cross, moves us from enemies to friends. We trade sin for righteousness. He changes us from sinner to saint. Shall I keep going? Uh, he transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We no longer calls us servants, but he calls us sons. We're deserving of death over here, and now we have full inheritance as children of God. And the best one is we're no longer distant and estranged from God, but now he calls us the bride of Christ. You think Christ, yeah, you think Christ loves his bride? And so all of that, he says, is true. It's insane what he offers us. All is a free gift if you'll just receive it. Now, I know some of you, this is like kind of brand new stuff, and you're going, that's too good to be true. I know. I didn't say it. He did. Right? I'm not the one making the offer. And when I fully grasped that in my life, it just changed everything. Because I'm thinking, 
How ridiculous would it be to reject that? To walk away like I don't need it. To think that I'm all good on my own. To keep listening to this. And to choose this over that? Why? Because I'm prideful? Because I think I'm better off without it? Listen, just let your guard down for a bit. And be honest with the one who knows everything about you. The one who knows you better than you know yourself. And listen to the one telling you the truth, not the accuser. You tell him to shut up in the name of Jesus, and you listen to the one who's telling you the truth, because he's the one making the offer to know him personally and to love him and to be his. And I know it sounds crazy, but when you receive it and you know that it's impossible for God to lie, you have to believe it's true, even if you don't feel it. You know how they train elephants? I'm almost done. You know how they train elephants? I know. You're like, dude. Okay, thank you. They, they, the way they train elephants in a circus or something is they'll take a you know, baby elephant, take them on their babies, and they'll tie them up to a rope to a little tent peg or something on the ground, right? And as a baby, it's, it's too, maybe you've heard this before. It's not strong enough. It can't pull that, that tent peg out, right? It'll keep trying until it finally will give up. Well, what happens to baby elephants? They become adult elephants. And... Adult elephants, they could yank that thing out, no problem. But do they? No. They, as a baby, they were trained early on, I can't pull that tent peg out. I'm not even going to try anymore. And so this, this big old elephant that would have no problem pulling a tent peg out doesn't even try. And you know what? There's the times I think that Satan's been chirping at this stuff for what, 25, 30, 40 years? You have nobody else in your in your life, and you're believing this, and you're a little elephant tied to a tent peg, thinking you can't do all this stuff when Christ is sitting here saying, oh my goodness, just walk away. Just tell him no. Put the rock down. Shut the recording off. Hold the, the condemned sign as a cross. Just live in the freedom that I'm offering you. If the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. You talk about Independence Day. So he ends chapter 8. I'd love for you to go back and read chapter 8 at some point this week. Because this is what he says. He, has, he, he ends with five questions, right, toward the end. Verse 31 through 35. He's got five questions, and they're kind of rhetorical, right? So you've got to help me out here. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Thank you. Totally better than the other services, okay? You, uh, you guys rock. But then he says this one. And this one's a little tougher. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him uh, give us all things? Well, of course he will. If he's going to give us his son, he's going to give us everything else we need for life and salvation. But then there's another one, verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who? Nobody. You can do it with a little more gusto now. Um, who is it that condemns? Nobody. Nobody. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Nobody. Nobody. And then he says, not trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, nothing. And he finishes with this. I love it. This is familiar to a lot of you. But look at verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, and just in case that doesn't cover everything, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that, my friends, will change your life. All right, let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for your truth. I, I, even for the times, Lord, that we don't see it or believe it, or we you know, are afraid to believe it because it's too good to be true, God, I pray that you would help us to know it and live it. God, um, I realize there's probably some people here that maybe have never made a decision fully to follow you. Maybe they've been uh, around you. Maybe they've wanted to at times. Maybe they've, you know, been stirred in their spirit by you at times. But Lord, maybe they've just never fully surrendered to you. And Lord, I pray that they would this morning. They would just ask you to surrender, to say, I give my life fully to God in this moment. And I'm not going to be the same person. And I'm going to give up all these old hangups and habits and stuff. And I'm going to give up my anger. And, and I'm going to give up the hurt that I've had in the past and all the things that have dragged me down. And Lord, I just want to live for you. And if anybody prays that prayer today, Lord, I, I pray that they would tell somebody and say, hey, I'm going to walk with Christ now. And I don't want to be condemned anymore. But I want to live free. Lord, help us to be a church that is free. Lord, help us to, to share freedom with this community, God. It's too important not to. Lord, there's too many lives that need to be changed for us not to spread that message. So we love you, God. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.